implication that Jesus Christ is going to be accused of some sort of wrongdoing. Uh, So of an accusation that he's accused of his disciples transgressing or sinning. Now, they're not just content to come to Jesus and hear him. They're there for a reason. They're there to condemn not only him, but to condemn his disciples. Uh, This is not an examination. This is more of an accusatory visit. Now, you'll recall back in John chapter chapter 1, verse 19, there was a similar examination done of John the Baptist. Uh, They were there examining his ministry as well. But they were observing something in Jesus and in his disciples that raised doubts about whether or not Jesus and his disciples were actually living according to the commandments or the law or the word of God. Specifically, they have a very peculiar question. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before eating bread? That's the totality of their accusation. Why are your disciples not washing their hands before they eat? Very common everyday occurrence. It's common what we should be doing and what we most likely do before we eat, we wash our hands. That's the totality of their accusation. But their accusation is robed in something much deeper than this. Their accusation is robed in the reality that what they're asking him, they believe is commanded of God. In fact, what we're going to see is they are doing something that is a great warning and a great danger even to us today when we consider, uh, is it something that is commanded of God or are we simply holding to a man-made tradition that's been created? Because there can be quite a difference between what God's Word commands and what's actually only a tradition. Now, what is a transgression? Well, transgression is a sin. Specifically, it's a sin against the law or the commandments of God. That justifies a transgression. The disciples here are being guilty or being accused of transgressing not a commandment of God, not a law of God, but they are being accused of transgressing something that the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the, the experts in Judaism had turned into a law and had made it something it was never intended to be. So in effect, what they're doing is they're adding to God's Word. They're adding to the Word and the law of God. Now, there is, in the Old Testament, there are abundant laws regarding ritual purity, and cleanliness. There's no question about that. When we study the priest, especially if you want to go ahead and turn there in Exodus 30, verses 20 through 21, the priests who were serving in the temple and in the tabernacle, they were required to wash their hands and their feet before ministering in the tabernacle. So there is the principle here that the priests... Uh, were certainly to wash their hands, they were to wash their feet before they ministered in, uh, in the office of priest. So you look there at Exodus 30, verse 20. It says, regarding Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet, verse 19, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. 
and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generation. All right, so there is, the, there is the requirement of the washing of hands, the washing of feet for the priest to minister. But throughout the Bible, there is no such requirement that was given to the general public in connection with the eating of foods. The rabbis had added to the laws of God. They had taken what was intended to be for a specific purpose, and they had overridden the commandments of God and said, now this is what you must do. Now, there was what is referred to as the oral tradition of the rabbis. I won't go into a lot of detail. You can, you can study this for yourself, but there was an oral tradition that things that began to be passed down from generation to generation, and we know how this goes. Something that is spoken over and over and over again uh, will continue to, it'll continue to be uh, changed just a bit. The wording might change. The requirements may change. It gets passed down, and they were taking those oral traditions, and they were writing them down in their books. And so it had come to the point now where it was now required by the oral tradition that all Jews, okay, anytime they ate something, okay, were required to wash their hands first. But there's no evidence that Jesus and his disciples ever acknowledged that as being a commandment of God. It was part of the oral tradition. It was passed down and it became something that now they were saying this is what the law of God says. Now the Greek word, again, I say this as a disclaimer every single time. I am not a Greek scholar. I am not a Hebrew scholar. I don't know Aramaic. I cannot carry on a conversation with you in any of those. But I do know what the Greek word for tradition is. The Greek word for tradition is a word called paradosis or paradosis, P-A-R-A-D-O-S-I-S. And it simply refers to that which is delivered from one person or a group to another. It's a tradition. It passes down throughout generations. It passes from one person to another person or from one group to another group. Now, tradition in and of itself is not a sin. Tradition is not a bad word in the Bible. Okay, so we're not, we are not attacking tradition here. Tradition is passed down, and there are good traditions. There are things that we ought to acknowledge. The Apostle Paul, uh, in fact, spoke of an apostolic tradition that Jesus gave to the church and which Paul would often make mention of. Uh, we'll come back here to Matthew, but go over to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. And I just want you to see these uses that Paul mentions the word tradition. So we are, we are completely uh, doing away with the idea that traditions in and of themselves um, are bad. Uh, Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I I, as I delivered them to you. Okay, so what Paul was saying about the various ordinances, the very things that happened in the context of worship, he said these are things that have been passed down. He also wrote to the church at Thessalonica. If you want to turn there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, these are not exhaustive looks at these verses just to show you. Uh, here, here specifically in Thessalonica, he makes mention of the word tradition. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 
uh, 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. One chapter over in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. He said, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. So traditions in and of themselves are not wrong. Now there are those apostolic traditions, but we are not to be guided or governed by traditions that do not have the ability to be backed up with Scripture. Okay, so what the rabbis were doing is they were adding things that were not, they did not find their basis in Scripture itself. So when we think about tradition, everyone, every family here, you have family traditions. You have things that your family does, other families may not, they're passed down from generation to generation, you may not even know why you do them. You just do them because that's what your family does. Or your family did. There are things I do in our house as a father and as a husband that I learned from my father. Things I learned from him. They're traditions. They're things that were passed down. Tradition is not bad. Every family, every nation. The United States of America is filled with traditions. We have traditions that are just passed down from one generation to the other. But every church has traditions too. Every church has traditions regarding how things are to be done. We have a way in which we do things. It is not to say that this is the only right way. Now we, at this church, our attempt is, is to regulate what we do by what the Word of God says. So our church operates on a tradition of sorts that it follows the regulative principle of worship. Now, what the regular, regular principle of worship is means that we only do what God commands in the Holy Scriptures. Our goal is to just follow what God commands. Okay? That's what the, that's what the, the, the purpose is. But in effect, there is a tradition to that. Okay? So when we think about what Jesus was talking to them about and what the, the Jews were accusing him of, we need to understand that this was not a violation of the biblical commands, but this was a violation of the rabbi's oral tradition that had supplanted the Word of God. Now, first thing I want to look at in these first two verses is sort of the heading of a question. Was it the transgression of Scripture or the transgression of of tradition. Now, Mark relates a piece of this in a little bit. He expounds a little bit more on this. You don't have to turn there. I've got it, I've got it here in front of me. Here's what Mark uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says about this event between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, 
As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now the foundation of this tradition, this is important, the foundation of the tradition was based in Levitical law. It had a basis in Levitical law. God had declared a person unclean that should touch the carcass of any unclean thing. That's Leviticus 5, verses 2 and 3. So what the rabbis did is they invented a tradition of washing their hands, washing the pots, washing the cups, washing the vessels, any time they had been at the, in the market or almost anywhere out of a fear that they touched an unclean person or an unclean thing. Now the problem is they added about three errors to the entirety of what that basis of Levitical law was. Remember that Levitical law was very specific. We also had the tabernacle law for the priest. But what were they guilty of? Well, they were guilty of extending the law to touching of things and persons. The basis of Levitical law was the carcass of an unclean thing. There's a big difference in the touching of a person and the touching of a carcass. The law was about a carcass. They added it that if you went to the market, you came in contact with people. And if you touched people, you were now defiled. We kind of all know about that over the last few years, don't we? Come in contact with people. You're unclean. The problem is that's not what the Levitical law said. It didn't say when you went into the market that you had to come home and wash your hands because you've been defiled. It was about the carcass of something that was dead. But secondly, it extended the law to touches that happened accidentally. They were not even on purpose. This would be like going out in public and touching something that was defiled and you didn't know it was defiled. They added that as one of the provisions. But thirdly, and maybe even most importantly, is the reality that they extended the law in thinking that sin could be washed away by a ritual. That's really where the rubber meets the road right there. That a ritual washing could wash away sin. Which God never commanded that washing is washing away sin. As we'll be witnesses to in a little bit. A baptism is called believer's baptism because that person has already believed. They've already repented. They've already confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is no washing away of sins taking place in that baptistry. Sins have already been removed. Remission of sins has already been granted. The forgiveness has already been granted. There is no ritual washing that washes away sins. The rabbi's oral tradition said, if you wash your hands before you eat bread, you have washed away that defilement. You've washed away that sin. We have to keep in mind that the charge against the disciples here uh, was not the neglect, really, of a washing for cleanliness, but a religious superstitious washing is really what's at the heart of this. Now, we realize the same thing was going on in Israel. The same thing happens in Israel with the traditions of the rabbis occupied what could only be said as an equal place of authority of the Word of God and in some cases began to override the authority of Scripture. 
The danger comes in is when tradition begins to override what the Word of God actually says. This happens a lot more than we're actually willing to admit. This happens a lot more in our Christendom where we call something a sin. We call something a violation of God's word. Or we say something in a church and we say this is, this is okay to do this when really what we're doing is we're saying our tradition is of higher authority than the commandments of God. So the scribes and the Pharisees are not really questioning Jesus about a transgression of a biblical command. They're accusing Jesus of a transgression of a man-made tradition. That's what's at the heart of this. That's why Jesus masterfully does not really answer their question. He turns them on their ear and he says, why are you transgression, transgressing the commandment of God? He immediately turns their whole argument upside down. Again, it's fair to say that traditions are not bad in and of themselves. The problem of a tradition occurs when traditions supplant or take the place of the law of God. That's exactly what was happening in rabbinical Judaism. Tradition became the authority. Tradition was supplanting the word of God. It was no longer the commandment of the law of God. It was, you're violating our tradition. Human traditions that were created by the rabbis had taken the place of the law of God. And that's exactly what was happening. So the question is, was was this an actual violation of Scripture or a violation of tradition? Well, Jesus is teaching us that what they were accusing the disciples of was a violation of tradition or a transgression against uh, tradition, not against the Scripture. Notice verse 3 through 6. God, through Christ here, describes the transgression of God's law. Jesus is now going to turn from their tradition and say, I'm going to prove to you, you're the one that's actually transgressing against the law of God. And he uses a bit of an obscure commandment to really undo their entire argument. This is one of those passages when people read it, sometimes if if you've not studied it, you look at it and you say, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What is this thing about a gift? What is this thing about about, uh, honoring mother and father? What in the world is Jesus talking about? It's a perfect illustration of the difference between what the rabbis, the, the scribes, and the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of and what they were actually doing. Look at verse 3 again. He says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Notice he very clearly says your tradition is giving the approval to sin against the commandment of God. For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother. Now, where do we know that occurs? It's in the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and mother. For years, people have said, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? Well, if you study all of the laws, don't just get hooked on to the Ten Commandments. You realize there's more than just the Ten. There were obligations as to how you honor your mother and your father. And it wasn't just by calling them sir and ma'am. The honor of the father and mother meant so much more than that. It even meant taking care of your parents taking care of them when they become elderly, taking care of them when they couldn't care for themselves. And I'm telling you, Jesus is doing something to them that only a master teacher could absolutely do. He takes something that he knows they've been guilty of saying it is okay to do by deceit, 
and is showing them how, they, how guilty they are of breaking God's law. Jesus responds with an example designed to show these leaders that they were transgressors, not of tradition, but of the law of God. Notice what it says there and go on. God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So what was Jesus speaking about here? The fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother. A study of Old Testament will also show you that according to that that law, to honor thy father and thy mother, imposed a divine obligation on families to take care of their elderly parents. And by the way, that ought to still be the case. There's an obligation to take care of them. And to take care of them in a way that was not just simple and without any responsibility. They were to be responsible for their parents. However, as man will do, there was an attempt to avoid obligation and avoid responsibility. That doesn't sound like our time and generation, does it? Do everything you can to avoid obligation and avoid responsibility. And let's really do it by making it look like we're doing something holy and we're doing something righteous and we're doing something super spiritual. But we're going to ignore an obligation, but we're going to show you, on the other hand, how spiritual we're being. That defines the age, the church age right now. Avoid what we don't like. Ignore the obligation and responsibility. Let's do something over here. It's, it's kind of a, an illusion. Don't look at what I'm not doing. Look at what I am doing. But the obligation was, and that's what Jesus goes right at. People were avoiding this obligation by vowing their possessions and their estates or their riches to the temple. This meant that if you vowed to give your possessions, your monies, to the temple, that freed you from the obligation of taking care of your parents. They said, we're going to pledge the money to the temple. And because we've pledged the money to the temple, we have no obligation to take care of our parents. Well, here's the problem. They were not giving the money to the temple. They were keeping it. But do you see what they did? Don't look over here. Look over here. Once that vow was made, that vow, that money was supposed to go to the temple upon their death. They weren't doing that. They were just making the vow to get out of the obligation of taking care of the parents, of honoring their father and their mother. By this way of deception and by evading the responsibility God had given them, what they ultimately did is they just kept the money for themselves. What's Jesus telling them? Very simply and very directly, he's telling the scribes and the Pharisees that your tradition, your tradition is overriding the commandments of God and it's permitting people to sin against the commandments of God. As Jesus puts it, you have made the command of God of none effect. How? Here's what it says right there in verse 6. By your 
tradition. He was telling them there is no law of God that says my disciples have to wash their hands before they eat a piece of bread. He says, you're not going to find it. It's not in the law. Now, folks, again, by way of application, there's a lot of people that have just bought what they hear church-wise, hook, line, and sinker, someone telling them, this is what you must do. And what they're commanding you to do is to obey a tradition, not the command of God. It happens more than you think. Church traditions can be a good thing, but they can also be a very dangerous thing. If you've ever been in a church that is governed by its tradition, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you, you heard it, and you heard it, and you heard it about this, what, this is what you must do. The problem is, it was a tradition of that church. It was not the command of God. There are Christians that are all bound up over this, and I'm telling you, it's happening more than we want to admit. Where someone is saying, well, the Bible says this. The Bible doesn't say it. The man-made tradition of your church says it. There's a big difference. Again, there's good traditions. But traditions are never to supplant or override the authority of God's word. That's what was happening. There is no law of God that tells you what... what there, is not, there is not a law that says I must wash my hands before I eat the bread, but there is a law. There is a law that tells you what you have to do towards your parents. And by the way, that honor your father and your mother, we always just direct that at our kids. We're always just telling our kids, now kids, honor your mother and your father. I don't care how old you are. You're to honor your father and your mother, whether you've been on your own for 30 years or not. If they're still alive and they're still, you're supposed to still honor them. This idea that, boy, this is, good, this is a good lesson to teach to the kids. No, it's a good lesson to teach to the adults. Honor is not just calling them sir and ma'am. It's honoring them according to what God says. We are to care for them and to take care of them. That's a command of God. Not washing my hands before I eat bread. They had made the tradition of hand washing and they permitted by their tradition saying it's okay to transgress the law of the commandment to take care of your parents. Because this is more important. I hope we see this. This obedience is to be to God rather than obedience to man. This has always been the case. We ought to obey God rather than obey man. Now again, this is not a carte blanche that says I don't have to, I don't have to obey anything. This isn't, this isn't rebellious Christianity. But I am telling you that there is this... We've got to be very, very careful that what we're actually saying is a biblical command is actually a biblical command and not a tradition. Every time I've studied this, I always have to sit back and I always have to think about my own, my own view on these things. I say, okay, how many, how many preconceived notions do I hold in my heart that are actually based upon a tradition or based upon the authoritative command of God? And every time I'm brought to this passage, there's always a little something that God brings to my heart through His Word that says, you know what? That thing that you're holding on to, that you're calling a command of God, that's not a command of God. That's a tradition. So we've got to be very careful with this. Now Jesus is turning this upside down 
by telling them you've made the tradition of men more important than the commandments of God. But then notice in verses 7 through 9, this third heading, he also accuses them of the transgression of hypocrisy. So not only does he say, you're transgressing, scribes and Pharisees, the transgressing of God's law, but he accuses and charges them with the transgression or the sin of hypocrisy. Look at verse 7 and 8. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You realize that Jesus is accusing them of just vain devotion. We might call it in our modern day vernacular, religious lip service. We know how to say the right things. We know how to appear to be holy and righteous. But Isaiah, in Isaiah 29, if you want to turn there with me, actually, this is what Jesus is quoting. I love the fact that Jesus quotes Scripture. Um, so often, we're trying to come up with a clever argument when we're debating somebody, which again, we've got to be very careful in how we debate people. But you know what the best thing you can actually do is? Is actually quote Scripture Quit trying to use your intellect to convince. Jesus uses Scripture. Here's, here's God. Jesus Christ, God, using Scripture to prove the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. Isaiah 29, and look at verse 13. Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord." And their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Jesus talks about these Pharisees and scribes being agitated by unwashed hands, and yet they're transgressing God's law. The prophetic words of Isaiah describe them as simply people of vain devotion and religious lip service. Their heart never drew near to God at all. You can sit under the preaching of a solid, doctrinally, Bible based, authoritative church and still be far from Him. We are very good at religious lip service. We are extremely good at saying all the right things and vain devotion is not devotion at all. God's not interested in lip service. God's not interested in just us saying the right thing. He's accusing them of hypocrisy. 
You say one thing, but you don't obey the things of God. It would be like you and I accusing someone else of breaking these commandments of God while you at the same time, you're breaking those commandments. Now, how guilty are we of that? We call out the sin of everybody else, but we're doing the exact same thing. And it's, I can't believe how horrible that person is acting. And you do the same thing. But you come into the church house on Sunday and you hold your Bible and you sing the hymns, but your heart is far from him. The Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees in particular, were the religious experts of the day. And they didn't know him. They didn't know Christ. Their heart never drew near. So what does the Lord do? He gives the Pharisees Scripture instead of tradition. The Scripture is to be our guard against allowing traditions to override the commandments of God. When Jesus quotes Isaiah, He's rebuking the words of the rabbis. Remember, it was oral tradition, the words that had been passed down from generation to generation. These rabbis knew everything about their book. They knew how many words were there. They knew all the divisions, but yet they didn't even know what they were reading. Jesus insists upon a worship that is based upon a matter of obedience and according to the commands of God. He says nothing about the matter of washing the hands before eating bread. You realize he didn't even address it. That's how small that was. He never uses Scripture to go back and say, here's where I'm going to prove to you to wash your hands. He said, this is much too small. He said, no, your tradition is actually causing people or giving people permission to break the commandments of God. And verse 9 tells us, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments. Now what notice this? Of men. The second way of application is religion is based on human authority and tradition is worthless. It's worthless. If all the authority you have and all, all, the, all the, what you give is based on the tradition of man, it's worthless in the sight of God. Now there are churches and denominations all over this country and all over this world that it is tradition that is guiding everything they do. And it guides what they think, it guides what they, and it is not the commandments of God. And we're supposed to know the difference. We're supposed to know the difference between, is that a tradition I'm hearing or is that the commandment of God? How can you know the commandment of God if you don't know your Bible? There are so many Christians that are struggling because you don't know your Bible. And you're believing everything somebody tells you. How do I know that? Because that was me. All I did was listen to what somebody told me. I never studied for myself to say, that preacher, what I heard him say, is he actually right? No, I just started believing what I heard without ever examining for myself. You should never, ever, ever listen to any teaching from this pulpit and not go home and study it for yourself. You are never going to hear me ever say to you, you can't understand the things of God. It's got to be a pastor. You're not going to hear it. Because that's not what the Bible says. We're not giving you the Bible in a language you don't know to keep you in blindness and to keep you in the dark. There are people, thousands and millions of people sitting in churches 
in another language they can't understand and they're believing it because somebody's standing at the front telling them this is what it means. How are they ever going to know? Because they can't read it. And they're in darkness. You and I have been given God's word in front of us. We can know the commands of God. We can know the difference between a commandment and a tradition. Some people's salvation message is based on a tradition. It's not based in Scripture. You say, I don't believe that. Think about some of the ways we've tried to manipulate kids to come to God, to come to Christ. Think about some of the examples we've tried to use. Well, what you really have to do is ask Jesus into your heart. That's not what the Scripture says. What does a child need to do to be saved? They need to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone. You tell a child, all you need to do, son, daughter, all you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. That little mind, that's what they think they're doing. Oh, I ask Jesus just to come in my heart with no acknowledgement of sin, with no acknowledge of repentance. There are churches that won't touch the word repentance. Repentance is a biblical command, not a tradition. The gospel is not an invitation, it's a command. Oh, well, here's an invitation. No, Jesus' first words in his first preaching ministry was repent. The first words out of John the Baptist's mouth was repent. What's the first thing your child needs to do to be saved? Repent. Well, that's too much for them to handle. Then they're not ready to be converted. Our parents and grandparents were so quick to get our children saved that we're letting a tradition replace the command of God. The commandment and the traditions. We have to worship the true God in the way that He commands or we don't worship Him at all. Folks, I'm not telling you that we do everything right, but I'm telling you, all we are trying to do is to do what God has told us to do and not add anything to it. Are we perfect? No. But that's why you're not seeing any of the glitz and the glamour and the lights and the smoke. and the sh We're not going down that route. We're simply reading the Word, preaching the Word, singing the Word, Praying the Word. We see a pattern. It's about the Word of God. It's not about the traditions of this church. It's about the Word of God. And about the commandments of God. Doctrines and our ordinances are only to be accepted when the divine Word supports them. And we are to accept them only on the basis of the commandments of God. The most vile form of devotion is vain worship. To simply just come and worship God in vain. Well, how do we worship God in vain when your worship is regulated by your tradition apart from the commandment of God? Really, folks, how thankful we should be for the written Word of God. You, you should be grateful. I should be grateful more than I am to actually have the written Word of God in your hand that we so easily take for granted. 
Because even in the days in which this was being written, there was not a copy, a completed copy of God's Word. We have all that God is going to give us. There is no other Bible coming. And when someone comes in and starts telling you, I have a new revelation from God, no, they do not. They're a wolf, they're a heretic, and you should run as fast as you can because there is no new revelation. We already have it in God's Word. We haven't even mastered this one, and we're prideful enough to think we need more. We don't even have this one down yet. Oh, I need something new. I need something exciting. I need something that really gets the people excited about coming to God, coming to church. No, here's what our excitement is. We're going to open the Word of God, and we're going to preach, and we're going to proclaim and magnify Jesus Christ and His saving grace. We're not going to magnify man's will. We're going to magnify God's glory and God's grace in saving wretched souls like us. Because it is not about us. It's not about what we want, not about how we do it. It's about what Jesus Christ has done and His Word says. We ought to be thankful that it doesn't need to be improved. Nine out of ten Christian bookstore books are trying to improve on the Word of God. Most of those books should be just tossed in a burn pile and burned. We want all the books, but we don't want to read this one. We want, every, we want the new book from the latest author, we want the latest book from the latest preacher. Read the book that's in front of you. Read that one one time through, just once. Not just so you can get a check mark. Read it so that you actually know the mind of God. You already have the answer to every one of life's problems in this book. And again, it doesn't always say your life is going to be perfect and without suffering. It actually says the opposite. Your life as a believer, let's not sugarcoat it and tell people, hey, get in the Word, be a Christian, be involved in this church. Your life's going to be great. No, you're probably going to suffer and you're going to suffer more. And we ought to be like Paul and the apostles and say we are counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. We get a hangnail and we want to run from God. And think about the realities of what God has given us. A completed copy of His words. No need to add to it. No need to add doctrine. No need to add a new practice. Jesus spoke of these traditions as inventions of their own sin. Why, why we keep saying, how can man think, figure out another way to sin? They will. And it shouldn't shock you. How can people think of another way to sin? Because that's what man's heart is bent towards. That's the depravity of man. We are bent towards finding out how much sin can we actually commit. We'll just invent more sin. What does Jesus say that that does? When we make traditions more authoritative than the commands of God, we make the commands of God of none effect. Not that God's commands are no longer valid, but that we just disregard them. The very doom of a hypocrite is put so directly here when he simply said, in vain do they worship me. Vain worship, vain worship will result in an eternity separated away, separated away from Christ Jesus himself. Vain worship never has pleased God. It never will please God. It'll never be profitable to you. It'll never be profitable to anyone else. 
Vain worship is to trust in that which is vain. What is vain? Man. Man is vain. And man ultimately who trusts in his own vanity will receive a payback for that vanity. Jesus very masterfully teaches us here the difference between commands and traditions. And I certainly hope that we're seeing the truth of this today. But let's finish by singing the hymn on 204. I'm going to have you stand and we'll sing this as our closing hymn. Then I'm going to ask you to go ahead and be seated again once we've finished this hymn. Um, Chase is going to go get ready. We'll get prepared. And then after we have prayed, um, she's going to play through 272, The Power of the Cross.